0: Thanks for joining us today on Mormonland, where we explore the contours and complexities of news about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce. I oversee the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. I'm joined by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Hello, Peggy.
1: Hi, Dave. First
0: off today, we want to inform our listeners of a new way to support Mormonland. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Mormonland to make a donation. There you can access swag, exclusive content, and an insider's view to upcoming shows. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Mormonland. Of course, as always, you also can keep up with us via our newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com forward slash Mormon land to sign up. Now for today's show. This week, Latter-day Saints are remembering the arrival of Mormon pioneers in the Salt Lake Valley. Not everyone, however, believes this epic migration is cause for unmitigated celebration. After all, these settlers ended up displacing Native Americans and transporting slavery to the region. Here to discuss this topic are Paul Reeve, head of Mormon studies at the University of Utah, who joins us in studio, and via Zoom, Elise Boxer, coordinator of Native American studies at the University of South Dakota. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, happy to be here.
2: Thank you for this opportunity.
0: For starters, Paul, what are some of the myths that are told about Pioneer Day that aren't true or or are exaggerated?
3: Well, I think all cultural groups sort of uh, have... Uh, stories that, that get perpetuated over time and they grow uh, in mythic proportion as they're retold and celebrated uh, you know for example for the Latter Day Saint arrival in the Salt Lake Valley a lot of times uh, the story gets told that uh, Latter Day Saints wandered aimlessly uh, they arrived in a trackless wilderness uh, and they wandered until Brigham Young uh, looked over the Salt Lake Valley and uh, had uh was enwrapped in vision and, and said, this is the right place. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, bound up in that story, um, as it gets retold, is also sort of a celebration of Americanism. Uh, Latter-day Saints love to fly the U.S. flag. So uh, all of that uh, doesn't really match up to what we know from the historical record. As they were fleeing the United States, essentially, right? That's right. They arrived uh, in July of 1847 in northern Mexico. They crossed an international boundary, fleeing the United States, looking for a place outside of firm governmental control where they could practice their religion freely. you know, uh, they had come to believe by that point that the US Constitution and the US government had failed them. Uh, they were deliberately looking for a place outside of uh, governmental control. They had explored Texas, which was an independent nation at the time, uh, thinking about also Oregon country, uh, but also Uh, Alta, California, which is northern Mexico. Uh, Those three locations, uh, all outside of the bounds of the United States, uh, were on their radar in the 1840s as potential relocation sites. And by 1845, they had zeroed in on the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, So they deliberately had selected northern Mexico. Uh, One Latter-day Saint leader, Erastus Snow, says in March 1845, uh, the Mexican government doesn't have firm control of it northern frontier so that would be a good place for us to look at and he was right he was, he was accurate in that assessment uh, the Mexican government didn't have a firm control of its, its northern frontier and so that's where they ended up zeroing in on and, and Brigham Young in September 1845 specifically says uh, the Salt Lake Valley is a place where we are looking to relocate
0: what, what are, what's the most damaging of these myths how, how does it affect maybe how people should view it
3: well, um, I mean, the trackless wilderness part of of, of the myth, right? Uh, so, so first of all, uh, that just simply ignores the fact that Native peoples had been in this region for thousands of years. Uh, but also, it, it it ignores the fact that uh, the Donna Reed Party had basically blazed the trail that the Latter Day Saints would follow the following year. Uh, so, on both counts, it ignores uh, the the historical record, uh, but. Most harmfully, I think, it ignores and erases uh, Native peoples and suggests that somehow, uh, you know, no one uh, existed in, in the region that the Latter-day Saints came to settle. And that's simply not true.
1: So, Elise, um, what do you think about the term pioneers as it's applied to the Mormon company that came?
2: Uh, yes, it's actually a really great question and something I try to address in my own work. Um I have a chapter on that um, disrupting that use of that term pioneer simply because it does imply the idea that Paul just talked about right um, just before this of, you know, that there's this vast wilderness that Mormon pioneers are, you know, um, going out, um, exploring this new area, claiming it. And I think by disrupting that term, um, I specifically think it's important to use the term settler because that's exactly what. Mormons were doing um, and so although they were escaping religious persecution um, it's because of their what I talk about in my own work of like their their whiteness their access to whiteness that they were able to actually go out and explore um, just as Paul mentioned I mean the fact that they were able to go out um, explore these areas and, and and focus on Salt Lake Valley eventually um, they did that deliberately and they did that purposefully. and so I think to use settler um, is important because it signals the idea that they were their goals to come out and create really a settler society and to really create like a Mormon empire. And so I think for me, I think it's important to stop using that term pioneer um, and kind of push back on that. And and again, it goes back to you have to include and talk about indigenous people. Um, indigenous people were here in that region. Um, and, and Pioneer implies again, like as if this area had not been used um, by other people, specifically indigenous peoples.
1: Doesn't it also suggest, the word pioneer kind of suggests first, right? Like, again, that goes to your point, like they were not the first people yes, in the area. Right. Exactly. So what problems do you have with the way Pioneer Day is celebrated uh, in today's world and for the past hundred years?
2: Well, I think in general, um, I mean, it it marks a history at that beginning point, right? Like July 24th, 1847. That is the mark of not just Mormon settlers coming into the area, but that is the beginning of history of this of this region. And more importantly, I think part of it, it has to do with that. um, The celebration is not only a very American um, celebration, but very much like Utah focused. Um, And the way, again, it goes back is that it's a state holiday. Um, You know, everybody gets off the, you know, like for pioneer day. Um, And, and I think that's really like the issue is that, the way it's celebrated, the way it's marked, um, and it's like unto other celebrations already, like in terms of like the July July 4th. Um, but I think really that's the issue is that like, it's as if this moment of history is the only moment that matters. And there's no discussion that there is a disruption Um, of indigenous ways of living and knowing and relationship to land and that immediately the presence of Mormon settlers displace indigenous peoples Um, and there's not a discussion of that and even like the finer days that I've gone to in Utah, like even like the parade or different celebrations, you see indigenous people really erased from that narrative. Um, and to me, that's problematic because it continues to perpetuate again that the only history that matters is Mormon history. And in this context, it's largely Mormon white history, a settler history that begins on July 24th.
0: A question for both of you, and Paul, I'll start with you. What would you like to see changed about the way July twenty fourth is remembered?
3: Well, I'd, I'd love to see uh, more nuance and a little bit of, uh, well, I would say maybe a lot of humility. I guess uh, <laughs> uh, just just a recognition, right, that the Latter Day Saint arrival as religious refugees then produces new. Refugees; um, it begins the displacement uh, of, of native peoples from the lands that they had inhabited, uh, you know, for thousands of years before the Latter Day Saints arrived. And so, um, a, a humble recognition uh, that uh, the Latter Day Saint arrival has consequences, and those consequences are negative for native peoples. Uh, also, um, just a more nuanced assessment of who who's arriving, how that plays out, um, uh, sort of uh, an understanding of the historical reality. Uh, Three black enslaved men arrived uh, and camped in the Salt Lake Valley on July 22nd. 1847, two days ahead of Brigham Young. So, uh, black slavery arrives before Brigham Young arrives in the Salt Lake Valley. And uh, indigenous slavery obviously predates the Latter day Saint arrival as well. So, uh, you know, a recognition of uh, those complexities, uh, I think, would go a long way in helping uh, people to have a more complicated understanding of what this means for various people who might not be white and Latter-day Saint, uh, so they might not have the same uh you know, uh, devotion to Pioneer Day um, and a recognition of what that means for other peoples would be a healthy kind of recalibration, in my estimation. Elise, what would you like to
0: add about how, how July 24th should be remembered?
2: I really appreciate what Paul just um, mentioned because I think that is important is, as, like, historians, right, including these narratives that exist, but really not very many um, people know about. Um, So I think that like in the sense rewriting the record um, is important. Um, And then I also think in terms of looking at um, these tensions that are that I think are interesting, because at the same time, like Mormon settlers, as they're moving um, into the Salt Lake Valley and disrupting that particular place and region, um, to You know, at the same time, it's also an extension of American imperialism, you know, because ultimately this region becomes part of the US. And, and what do those tensions look like? Um, and I think in a more modern context, I mean, obviously, there are tribes that still exist today. Um, What does that relationship look like, whether it's with the LDS church, whether it's the state of Utah, what does that look like? How can this quote unquote pioneer day be more inclusive, particularly with the people that have been there since time immemorial, these tribes and these people have stories that exist, you know, their creation is a people that um, predates anything. And I, there's, there's not a discussion of that and I think also again in a in a modern context to realize that even in Utah State not everybody is LDS right and so how do we include people who are not LDS what is that connection to that um, state celebration and then also more importantly how can this um, celebration be inclusive of all members of the LDS faith because there's a lot of people who have wanted to have even a like representation right in parades and how they've been silenced and excluded because it doesn't fit a particular narrative of celebration and so I think we uh, there has to be an inclusion of of all perspectives um, at the very least um, in order to dismantle some of the myths and this myth making that continues um, through the annual celebrations Uh,
1: so it, it might be doable to change the parade or something like that. But really at the end of the day, the big question is, how do you change the way history is taught? So to both of you, what would it take to change or, or to enlarge the narrative? least start with you. This is a really good question. And I think a very appropriate
2: question. Um, I think history, um, and again, because I teach in, in South Dakota, in a largely very conservative state, I think we again have to talk about like what history are, when we say US history, whose history are we talking about? And where does that starting point begin? Because oftentimes, again, in, in most textbooks, it begins with the first arrival of settlers. It doesn't really have, maybe there's like a brief mention of indigenous people. Indigenous people don't appear again until there's like conflict, you know, where indigenous people stand in the way of, you know, like, progress and civilization um and so i think that in terms of looking at how history is taught is to teach it from different aspects and different perspectives look at primary documents um have students look at that and and our history is oftentimes uncomfortable and i think that's that's okay i think students need to wrestle with those questions Um, I know that in a lot of my survey courses when I was teaching US, both U.S. survey and then also just like my intro to Native American studies, um, one of the things that most of my students that are predominantly non-native, um, their, co- their takeaway typically is always, why don't we learn this in K through 12? Um, and I think that's really the issue is that our students and our young people are capable of understanding this very complicated history. If we give them to t- the tools to think critically, to read about the past and to also understand that everybody's experience here in the U.S. right was not the same. Um, and so I think that um, would be a good starting
1: point. And Paul, what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I, I love uh, Elise's answer. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it takes a committed effort, It it can't be a one off. uh, And that means, uh, you know, for Latter day Saints who get their version of LDS history, uh, the vast majority in Sunday school, it takes uh, a concerted effort uh, for those who produce the curriculum. It takes a concerted effort uh, for uh, people in Utah schools uh, for the curriculum to reflect, uh, you know, this commitment. Uh, So, You know, it takes a state effort, it takes a religious effort to complicate the narrative, to bring a new understanding, I love what Elise said, uh, you know, just simply the notion that Utah history doesn't begin on July 24th, 1847. Uh, So obviously I teach Utah history at at the University of Utah, Uh, you know. We're weeks into the semester before we get to even mention Latter-day Saints. And and I think it uh, takes that kind of effort, right? And then we have to try to uh, put ourselves, if we are, you know— Euro-American, put ourselves in the shoes of other people and try to understand from their perspective how this same history might look. Uh, And, uh, you know, so arriving in the Salt Lake Valley might be a celebration and a place of refuge for Latter-day Saints. But let's also be willing to step back and say, okay, what does that look like for Shoshone people or for Ute people or for Southern Paiute or Goshute or Navajo? Uh, And the Latter-day Saints quickly move into each of their regions and begin to settle on the same land that they had relied upon for thousands of years to sustain themselves. And so it automatically will produce displacement. Uh, So we need to be willing to stand in places of empathy and look at history from different people's perspectives. And that takes a committed effort.
0: And in the LDS Church's case, for sure, it would be a global effort because the Mormon migration is taught, you know, in Sunday school around the world, right? And it would be of interest to members around the world probably need to know that. Do you agree? Or?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, the way that, uh, you know, the, the use of the word pioneer, as, as Elise has already, um, you know, deconstructed that, uh, you know, comes to signify, right, uh, even globally, pulling hand carts right? That's another complicated aspect of the way that this gets portrayed. Uh, that's the least typical way of arriving in the Salt Lake Valley. And yet it has come to stand in for all forms of migration. I've had students who, uh, one from Ireland, and I said to him, did you pull hand carts in Ireland? He was a Latter-day Saint. And he said, yes, we pulled hand carts in Ireland, for heaven's sake. <laughs> so that's uh, you know the way that uh, these cultural sort of markers get exported around the globe. And there's only one way then to think and be a Latter-day Saint. And it doesn't then uh, allow for the complexity of the global experience either. So absolutely uh, rethinking of what that all means. And like I said, it, it will take a sustained effort. For as long as the myth gets created, you have to then unteach the myth in the same amount of you know, commitment and time. So Elise, do you think the LDS Church should or will ever overtly
0: acknowledge that the settlers forced Indigenous peoples off their land?
2: <laughs> that's always a tough question because um, I don't even think our U.S. government can acknowledge that. You know, they put they put policies and res- you know we have reservations today. Um, I think that's very difficult. But I also think that again. Um, I really liked again what Paul said about terms of thinking about this globally Um, how do we move beyond a very American centric point of view because the majority of the members of the LDS church do not reside within Utah let alone the United States and so how do we align again with other members and and pioneer identity cannot be the only way to pull in other members whether it be from you know like Mexico or Latin America Um, you know, Africa, et cetera, like that cannot be the only way to say you can be a pioneer in your own way. Um, I think it's moving beyond that. And I think the other thing I want to add, just as I was thinking about the last few, like the last question is, um, in addition to having empathy for others and other point of views, I think what I also... My experience, and was something I also teach my students, is to not silence other point of views just because it conflicts with your own. And I think that's something very difficult because I think it's the human perhaps reaction to say, "Well, that's not my experience. I don't think that's you know that's not true." Um, and so I think that's the other thing is that even my own point of view, um, in terms of context of like Mormon. Indigenous peoples, I cannot be the only perspective, right? There's multiple perspectives that exist. And so I think allowing for those uh, perspectives to exist, but also not to silence other perspectives just because we don't understand them and just because we don't, you know, that's not our lived experience. That's the only way I feel that change can make is that it's moving beyond a tolerance but really saying, you're right, we can navigate this space in very different places, and that doesn't legitimize one over the other, but that it's okay to have multiple experiences
1: in the same space. So um, Mormons are often taught that, that their ancestors, their settlers treated uh, native peoples better than other settlers because they had a different theology about them. Is that true? I'm going to ask both of you. Is that is that really true? Let's start with Paul.
3: Uh, short answer: No. Uh, I I think it's important to understand that Latter-day Saints have a theological ideal in terms of the way they view Native peoples, which uh, in theory might prompt them to uh, see Native peoples differently. But you have to understand that was in constant tension with the realities of colonizing this region and the realities and the practicality of colonization time after time won out over any theological ideals and those theological ideals we should also interrogate because they're just bound up in white settler colonialism and paternalism uh, mm-hmm. and Uh, As a result um, You know The practicality Of colonization Wins out Over those ideals So all kinds Of examples Of this playing out Brigham Young Himself uh, Will articulate Native peoples As fallen descendants Of ancient Israel In need of redemption But also say You know We When we arrived In these valleys We were ready To clear clear the land Of them If we needed to So colonization Will always win out Over the ideals And he became convinced That native peoples at least the existing generation might need to die off and maybe the uh, rising generation could be redeemed. Um, So, for example, at the end of uh, the Bear River Massacre, Perpetuated by soldiers from uh, Camp Douglas in Salt Lake, but uh, to the benefit of Latter day Saint settlers in Cache Valley, the bishop, uh, Bishop Mon up there, said, Well, we saw the intervention of Patrick Connor as the intervention of the Almighty, solving the Native problem for us. So there, there are those kind of examples that just simply illustrate that. Uh, Latter-day Saint religious ideals really were um, assumed by just the practicality of colonization and with, when push comes to shove it's just more convenient to clear the land of native peoples
1: So, Elise, what do you think about that? I think Paul said everything that needs to be said I'm glad you went
2: first, Paul Yes, in a, sh- in a short answer no um, But just to reinforce, I think that same idea, right, like I think it's, yes, theologically, this idea of the Lamanite, right? Let's say the Lamanite, it was not much different than U.S. policies of assimilation. And again, it's always going to be about elimination of the native. Um, And so in this context, whether it's like Lamanite or American Indian people, it's still about the elimination because it's about the access to land. And access to land and resource, ultimately, that's most important. Um, I know that in I've, I've written an article about this, but also just in general, I have a chapter in my, in my book that I'm trying to finish up right now, but on the Indian student placement program. So it wasn't just 19th century, it continued on to the 20th century, right? This idea that the LDS church knows best for Native people and that Native people can be saved through Mormonism, which is problematic even with the rhetoric you know they shall become a white and delight some people everyone will always argue no no they really meant pure it changed to pure yes but also in that recent publication of the come follow me handbook that appeared yet again and so until you again have the dismantling of that perspective a very paternalistic perspective um i don't really think things are going to change
3: I, I would just add, um, just building on what what Elisa said, I, w- I would just add that um, the end result is the same in Utah as it is uh, anywhere that you have your Euro, Euro-American colonization. Uh, Native peoples are rounded up and placed on reservations. They go from controlling 100 yeah. percent of the land bla- base that we call Utah mm-hmm. to four percent within 60 years of the Latter-day Saint arrival. So the end story is the same. Even, I mean, if you want to suggest that somehow Latter-day Saint settlers were, were somehow different, the end story is the same. And there are moments of compassion, but you have to understand that compassion, why? Because Latter-day Saints had displaced them. So they become in, uh, Native peoples uh, are in need of food and clothing and shelter because uh, the Latter-day Saints have arrived. So if you say, well, they were compassionate towards them. Compassionate because they produced the need for the compassion in the first place. Um, and the end result is, is the same. They're on reservations by, by the beginning of the 20th century.
1: So, Paul, what should people keep in mind about the black pioneers and how slavery came with them?
3: Uh, well it's important to remember that uh, Latter Day Saints the Latter Day Saints track to the Great Basin uh, includes the enslavement of people of uh, black African descent Uh, at Century Black Mormons we will be uh, posting a new biography this week uh, of um, Betsy Brown Flewellen she was 11 years old in 1848 uh, stripped from her family and arrives uh, stripped from her family in Mississippi and brought as an 11 year old uh, enslaved girl to the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, So We should think about then uh, the Latter-day Saint arrival uh, from the perspective of an 11-year-old enslaved girl who is stripped from any family that she might have known in Mississippi. Uh, And she will be enslaved in in Utah until Congress uh, emancipates her in 1862. She will die at uh, the state mental hospital in Provo. Um, After emancipation, it's still a struggle to... Uh, provide for her. Um, she does marry in Corinne. Uh, she does get baptized into Latter-day Saint Faith. Uh, but uh, the economic opportunities for black people in Utah after emancipation are not great. Um, And so I think, uh, you know, as a part of, uh, you know, July 24th commemorations, just simply complicating those narratives with the fact that people are arriving against uh, their own agency as enslaved people to their fellow congregants uh, is an important uh, thing to remember uh, that took place in Utah Territory. So uh, a final question for both of you, and we've touched on a little bit of this, but I kinda
0: wanna get your final thoughts on. So, and we'll start with you, uh, Elise. What's your hope for the future of this day, Pioneer Day, and we've already talked a little bit about the problems with the name, Um, and should it continue at all?
2: That's a good question and a tough question. Um, I think in terms of thinking about moving forward, um, this is where I think you have to have different world, like different perspectives and worldviews, come into place to to really think about what it means collectively together. Um, I kind of think about this very much in the, in the same way when we talk about like the dismantling of various monuments right throughout the country, particularly those that were Civil War monuments or those for Christopher Columbus or you know the list goes on. Um, I think part of it is like if the if it's going to change. What is it going to change and what is it going to look like? Um, because you, what, what I would fear is that there would just be a replacement. I'm calling it something different, but it's still the same. Um, and the other thing is, like, I also think it's dangerous to say that, like, also that Mormon settlers and like their descendants don't matter either, right? Like, this is important. This is part of how people have created community and heritage, and so. I don't have a clear-cut answer on what that would look like, other than I think it takes people coming together to envision what does our collective future look like and how do we build that? And then how do we also remember our past? However, you know, I'll say ugly or complicated that it may be, how can we recognize that? Um, And just to kind of give like a, I guess, a regional example that Paul mentioned earlier with the Bear River Massacre, right? Daryl Perry is doing some amazing work regarding that, but how do you then get that particular even monument, um, that event remembered very differently? Um, And specifically when you're looking at from an indigenous perspective. And so um, I don't have a clear response other than what my hope is that people who who think about Pioneer Day or Settler Day or whatever you wanna call it moving forward, feel as though they are connected in some way and that their history is also represented within that. And that does, again, I always talk about indigenous people, but that means for indigenous Mormons, what would that look like to not live on the periphery of Mormon cultural, um, I guess, Mormon culture, right? Um, Because Mormon native kids are not going to be wearing pioneer like clothing and reenact like what Paul mentioned earlier, because that has happened and it's so uncomfortable when the, when it, it does. And so I think that's part of it. What would it look like and how would that change? And especially when we acknowledge that from a Mormon Native perspective, what does that mean?
0: So Paul, we'll give you the last word.
3: What, what's your hope for the future of this day? Yeah, I, I loved uh, Elise's answer. I, I would love a more inclusive Pioneer Day celebration uh, and that would include indigenous peoples uh, that would include African Americans uh, that would include peoples of all faiths uh, and what living in Utah uh, has has meant for them Uh, we need to be open and respectful and like uh, uh, Elise articulated be willing to listen to other people's experiences and perspectives even if it doesn't match our own history is not always meant to affirm us and that's okay so
0: should there be a parade and if there is should the parade how should the parade be different
3: you know um, <laughs> I've never been uh, a parade goer so I am really <laughs> hesitant to uh, critique the parade experience I, I really don't really have a an assessment of that I don't know if Elise does or not but uh, um, Elise, it's not my any, thing
0: yeah do you have any thoughts on that Elise
2: I think I'll just reiterate what I've mentioned before, because I have gone and again, I went my part, I was, I was doing it from a research perspective to see what does it look like? And, and again, it goes back to, you cannot just include people of color, whether Pacific Islanders or indigenous people, when it fits this like happy Lamanite view, like that to me is also problematic. And so I think moving forward, you have to include people um, with different views of that. And also like include people who come from like let's say the LGBTQIA community because I know in the past that they have wanted like there is a push for a float and they weren't allowed to you know have a float and what does that mean then when that's literally the attack on the humanity of other people and so I think for the parade you have to be inclusive and it can't just fit the theme if you don't you know like and, and parade or floats that aren't comfortable include it Let people think about it. And more importantly, I say this from like as a parent perspective. I know our young people, you know, can handle that. And it's something that I even talk about with my young boys and they're all under the age of five. So I think you can still have that quote unquote fun experience. It also can be an educational experience.
0: Well, Elise Boxer and Paul Reeve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Be well and stay safe, okay? Thanks. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack.
1: Always a pleasure
0: and to our producer, Chris Samuels. As a reminder, you can support us with a donation at patreon.com forward slash mormonland, where you can get access to free giveaways, exclusive content, and more. And as always, you can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Solid Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com forward slash mormon-land to sign up. And we'll talk again next time on Mormonland.